It's the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast. And welcome to the podcast. I am your host, Steve Italiano, and this is the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast. The podcast uh, that originally started out to be on and about Milwaukee, but we're kind of expanding our borders today, especially today. Uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, if you are joining us, uh, let me do my housekeeping quick right away. And remember to at least try and leave us a review or uh, rank us when you uh, go to iTunes or Google Play. That gets us a little bit more uh, seen out there, and we need all the help we can get. So, uh, what else? Oh, if you're listening um, and you have comments. Now, remember, last week we actually got our first email from listener Sarah. And because of that, we sent Sarah out a coffee mug. So if you want some kind of swag from the Listen Up Milwaukee podcast, send us an email. If we read it on the air, we'll send you a free gift of some kind. So um, with that, um, we're going to get into today's topic. Oh, where to send the email. That always helps. Um, emails, RS, can be sent to listenupmke. That's L-I-S-T-E-N-U-P-M-K-E at yahoo.com. So, um, with that said, I'd like to introduce our guest today. Um, and again, as I am with my full disclosure, um, I'd like to introduce my niece, my younger <laughs> sister's daughter, um, Aaron Thomas. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Great to be here <laughs> virtually in Milwaukee. <laughs> yes, virtually. Yes. Believe me, you probably have much better weather over there, no matter what you have than you have here today. So it was cold and rainy. And, um, yeah. so we talk about distances and things. Um, Aaron is currently, uh, um, we're currently talking to Aaron, uh, who is in, um, the country of Peru. Aaron is a Peace Corps volunteer right now. And what, what part of the country are you in, Aaron? Um, I'm in a region called Ancash, um, uh, just North of Lima, about eight hours North of Lima, the capital. All right. That's, that's a long way from the Brew city, is it not? It is quite far. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And, um, Aaron, of course, um, why, why don't you tell us a little bit, give us some background on yourself and, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, sure. So I'm from Wisconsin. Um, I grew up in Miami Falls. Um, I'm 25 and oh, what else? I went to Marquette university and I graduated in 2016. Um, and after that I was, I moved to Baltimore and I was working for a refugee resettlement organization there um, for just over a year. And then I applied to the Peace Corps. And now I am here in Peru. Um, so I studied economics. Um, and I'm currently serving as a community economic development volunteer in the beautiful country of Peru. Okay. That's uh, so from Menominee Falls to Peru and South America. It's yes. quite, quite, quite the journey. So, um, and again, I, I know I've known you your entire life, so I have all this background <laughs> on you. Um, exactly. <laughs> so Marquette University, um, you, you did all four years there and graduated, you said with, with an economics degree, correct? You said, yeah. right. right. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I should know these things, right? Um, <laughs> initially, um, you know, I guess we all have, uh, hopes and dreams when we start college. 
did you declare that major right out of the gate at Marquette or did oh, you kind of drift no. into it or? <laughs> it was definitely a journey. Um, I don't know how many times I changed my major, probably five, five or six times. I don't know, something like that. Um, so I initially started as a communications major. Um, and then I decided to switch to, um, like criminology and then I ended up in the business school and then I decided that economics was where I wanted to focus and that was probably around end of sophomore year um so and that whole reason why I chose economics was because I had a professor who um ran a program um doing economic development work in Guatemala and so I had the opportunity to go twice with her and work on projects there um and I was really interested in you know the whole question of why are some countries so poor and other countries are so wealthy. And then within those countries, why are some people so poor and some people so wealthy and what's going on here? Um, so I felt that economics was a really interesting way to study um, all of that. So yeah, that's how I kind of came to that decision. Um, and yeah, so it's interesting now as a volunteer working on economic development to see how much different that kind of thing is like on the ground, working in a community every day and studying it like at large. Um, a lot of, you know, those big theories that you learn about, like that kind of stuff doesn't necessarily like it doesn't come to your mind when you're here every day working with real people, you know. So it's interesting, um, but I definitely can see how my economics degree has served me. Um, more than anything in Peru, it's very important to like have a title. And so when people find out like I'm an economist, which I wouldn't really call myself that, I guess, in the US, <laughs> but here it's definitely a big title. If you have a how, how do you say that in Spanish? Economista. Economista. Um, <laughs> right. So <laughs> so when I when I tell people that I'm an economista, they're like, wow. So um my education has served me well in that way. <laughs> um, yeah. Excellent. Now, uh, you said you, um, you actually got a chance to visit Guatemala mm -hmm. while still in college. Did that, obviously yeah. that cemented the economics or the, the pursuit of economics, correct? Right. Right. So that's kind of why I decided to declare a major in economics. Um, because before before economics, I was kind of studying like social justice, like criminology, and I was thinking about maybe I'll be a social worker or something like that. But after doing some internships in that kind of field and like volunteering, I like was really just frustrated with the process, I suppose. Okay. And so I came around and I was like, you know, I think like being like learning more about business and government and how all of these like huge factors work in our society it would be more like useful I suppose I don't know at the time I was like I don't want to get stuck up in this system like I want to do something different so um I thought that a business degree would be more useful sure. <laughs> I suppose sure yeah. sure and and what type of stuff uh, were they internships or were they just when you went down to Guatemala, what, what type of program was that mm -hmm. under? Was that just helping the professor out for a semester for o over the summer? What kind of program was that? Yeah. Um, it was, it's a program through Marquette business school, um, called applied global business learning. And it is, um, a semester long program. Um, and usually there's 
like um, some kind of travel involved. So I went to Guatemala. I participated for two semesters in the program and I went to Guatemala both times um, just for, I think about two weeks. Um, But they also have programs in other countries as well. So they go for longer times during breaks um, in the semester or um, I believe they do have a summer program now too. Um, But it's a class for credit. So it's a semester long project where before the trip, we're working on research about the country Um, the programs we'll be working with. We're learning a lot about development work and economic development in general. Um, And then we go out, do the trip. Um, Depending on the first year, we worked with a small community who um, was really interesting. They, um, Guatemala has a, still there's systems of kind of like hacienda systems where there's people who, usually like Spanish people who came in colonial times and they own a whole bunch of land and the Guatemalans, the native Guatemalans like work on the land, but they don't have any property rights. Um, okay, so it's almost like a feudal system. Yeah, exactly. And that still exists. Um, and in a lot of countries, which is kind of crazy to find out. Um, but we had been working with a community who had just recently gotten rights to their land, um, after, um, a whole process of, working with the government to kind of break the feudal hacienda sort of system. Um, and so they were um, just recently had like ownership rights to their land and they had collective rights. Um, so the whole community owned the whole community, basically like nobody had their own individual land. Um, and so we were working on a project with them to help them improve their production of agricultural goods um, and to serve their community better. Um, essentially. So it was super interesting. Um, and you know, you find out a lot of the, like, it's not as simple as it seems, you know, once you get there, we learned that because they had just recently been given rights to leave the land. Um, a lot of the men had gone to work in different places in the country or in different countries. Um, so it's not as simple as just like, Oh, like we need to start producing more, um, whatever, like corn or things like that, you know, it's also like, who's in charge of like, there's only women here, (laughs) you know, there's no men. And if they are, they're very young and they have to go to school and all of that. So, um, like I said before, it's really interesting to like read about that stuff for a whole semester and then arrive and everything's completely different than (laughs) what you thought. Yeah. It's it's the book learning versus real world. Exactly. So, um, did that, uh, did that experience then figure in Well, right out of college, um, you didn't go right into the Peace Corps. Right. Um, um you, you went to work for AmeriCorps, correct? Right. Yeah. Okay. So AmeriCorps is like basically the stateside version of Peace Corps, um, where we volunteer, um, within the United States or territories of the United States. Um, and yeah, so they partner you with like a um, an NGO or an agency, a community agency or something like that. And you work for a year with that agency um, doing capacity building, basically. So they say we're not supposed to be doing like direct service to the people. We're supposed to be working on programs and improving the systems of like how the NGOs work. Um and so in AmeriCorps, I was working for 
a refugee resettlement organization um, on financial literacy. Um, so basically the problem was that they, so the way that refugee resettlement works in the United States is there's, I believe, nine agencies that are responsible for resettling refugees when they arrive to the country. Um, so in their first like nine months of being in the country, they are paired with an agency who is responsible for certain things that the State Department contracts them for. So finding them an apartment, um, a job, um, helping them get their children enrolled in school, things like that. Um, so the agency I was working for did not have a financial education program. And when refugees were arriving, um, they were finding that long-term they were having difficulties um, buying homes, buying cars, like things like that, because they weren't aware of like the credit system. Um, and they, most of them coming from like very cash-based economies didn't have bank accounts even. So okay. they were having a hard time, like getting paid at work, things like that. And then not understanding like how direct deposit works. And it's like, like, like that whole system that seems so natural to us, but I guess, sure, you know, if you're sure. coming from a place where that doesn't exist and you get paid in cash and you keep it all under your mattress, right. um, <laughs> you know, it's very different and it's a very difficult and intimidating system. Um, so my job there was to develop a financial education system to kind of teach them um, about this whole system and help them get their first bank account. Okay. And when you say refugees, are these people that, I mean, they, I guess they're legally emigrating to the United States. Right. Mm -hmm. And coming so, from, are they, were you dealing with mostly people? And I guess I'm interested in basically the type of people. Are these people that are just emigrating? Are they people that are, are fleeing political oppression mm -hmm. or persecution mm -hmm. or was it all kinds? I, yeah. So, um, a refugee is a person who has left their, has been forced to leave their home country, um, for fear of like, it could be political persecution or war or, um, some kind of like well-founded, that's how they define it. It's like a well-founded fear, um, for their life. Okay. Um, and then a refugee is someone who has left their home country to live in a different country and then applies for resettlement, which is like to go live and have a path to citizenship in a new country. Um, so there's various countries that have resettlement programs and the U.S. is one of them. Um, and they go through a long process of, I've heard anything from a year to like three years mm -hmm. to be accepted as a refugee in the United States. Um, and then they go through a whole process of um, like background checks and everything. Sure, um, sure. And then once they arrive to the country, they have refugee status for a year. Um, and then after a year, they get a green card. So they're permanent residents. And then after, I can't remember if it's five or 10 years, I believe it's five years, they can apply for citizenship. Okay. Um, so we worked with refugees specifically and then asylees who are, people who have come to the United States for other reasons and they could not return to their country for another reason, whether it's like political persecution or war, things like that. Sure. Um, so those are people who came first to the United States for like a lot of them were students. Um, so they had come legally as on a student visa or a working visa, but that visa um, has an expiration date and there's no path to citizenship there. So they applied to be 
to have political asylum in the United States where they can um, have a path to citizenship. And the goal is eventually that they'll, you know, resettle and integrate into the sure. United States. So we worked with refugees and asylees. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. I, I just find, I, I find it's interesting because I've had two very recent experiences with people. Um, I, I got stuck on jury duty this winter. Um, <laughs> I should say stuck. <laughs> Civic duty. Uh-huh. I, I was on jury duty uh-huh. this, this, and I did get put on a trial. And uh-huh. it was, it was quite odd. Um, I should probably do a podcast about that eventually. So that's a future <laughs> one people, but, uh, in and out, we were, we were in and out of the courtroom quite a bit and had long pauses out of the courtroom. So, you know, here's uh-huh. four, we are 14 people crammed in a room that's 12 by 12 and you can't talk about the yeah. trial. And we had one, uh, one, one woman who, Oh, I don't know. Maybe she was younger than I was. I put her about my age, you know, so uh, late Mm forties, early fifties who didn't say much at all. And the last day of the trial, it came up, uh, somebody brought up immigration Mm -hmm. and, oh, I did. That's what I was talking about. I was talking about how (laughs) dummy me, I can't even remember six months ago. But, uh, I had brought up how, you know, you look at the manifests from when, you know, my grand, my great grandparents, your great, great grandparents came over from, from Italy and, Mm -hmm. you know, you had to have $20 in your pocket. You had to have a place to stay an address you were going to. Uh, Mm -hmm. one of the questions that they asked you on this big manifest sheet was, you know, like, are you an anarchist? Surprisingly, Mm -hmm. nobody said yes. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and, and, and just casually talking, cause you know, me, there's a group of people, so I'm going to start talking at them. And, uh-huh. um, she, this woman in the corner who hasn't said boo the entire three days we've been together. And she goes, oh, well, it's still like that, but you just have to have more money. And I said, oh, you know, so we, she started telling her story. She was, um, from, um, one of the, and I, I'm good. I'm really sorry. I can't remember. She was such a nice lady to talk. I mean, really, we, we shared maybe an hour of conversation, but she was a very nice woman. And, uh-huh. um, she, uh, she said, you know, they, she was from the, uh, one of the Serbian republics and mm-hmm. in the, in the late eighties, early nineties, when there was all the conflict there and they had a green card lottery to get to the United mm-hmm. States, she said. And, her husband had a couple extra bucks and he bought an extra ticket and he handed it to her and he, you know, we've been doing this for the last couple of years and, and, uh-huh. and her ticket won. <laughs> I know. Isn't that amazing? That's that program still exists. Okay. And it's, I had never heard of it. I never it. thought about that, uh-huh. you know? Um, uh-huh. I don't know if they, but you, you got a ticket and so she, she got a ticket and, but it was a year and a half for her and her family doing all those things that you were probably yeah. doing once they got here that they were doing right. ahead of time with the background checks. And uh, right. the nice thing for them is they've, since that part of the world has settled down, they've been able to go home, visit family again mm-hmm. and things like that. But very happy, very, you know, pleased to be here. And, uh, and mm-hmm. like I said, you wouldn't have, you know, if you saw her walking in the street, you'd, you'd think, you know, she looks like every, um, being from the Adriatic area, obviously the, uh, right. you know, like every relative we have. So, uh-huh. right. <laughs> but it, it was, it was interesting in that. And, um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, well, you know, uh, um, oh, God, why did I draw a blank when I talk like this? But, um, anyway, you, you know, you know, you know, uh, the Damas. So right. our, our friends who live uh, north of, in the Northern part of Wisconsin, uh, their son's dating a gal who, um, 
It's Cambodian. And her uh-huh. father, it's hilarious. I, her father's a very stoic person, very solid. Um, mm-hmm. but he, when we were, we were visiting and they happened to be there and he tells the story of how they had to escape in the middle of the night. Basically he had mm-hmm. lost his brothers to war. He was 14 years old and he was the head of the family and they mm-hmm. hired what we call a coyote <laughs> you know, from, mm-hmm. from Mexico up here to get them, um, out of Cambodia and uh-huh. into Laos and into a refugee mm-hmm. camp. So it was traveling at night and keeping quiet and watching out for soldiers and patrols and very tense. And it took him a month to get yeah. to this refugee. And then they were, he and his family uh, were sponsored. His mother and I think sisters were sponsored by a local church who then brought them to Milwaukee. Mm-hmm. And, and then his, uh, his wife, it's kind of funny, 10 years later, he goes back to Cambodia when the things have settled down again. And, you know, he mm-hmm. had gone through this traumatic experience of traveling and leaving, you know, and da, 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 and all the things you can, I could imagine, just, just imagine going through. Cause I've thankfully mm-hmm. I've never had to do that. Mm-hmm. And, uh, his wife, Polly, very, very sweet lady, very funny, very chatty. And, uh, she says, uh, yeah, he, he come visit my family and we, we, uh, we, we meet and they tell me you're going to marry him. And I said, I know I'm going to get married, you know? And she says, but he, he live in America. She said, okay, I get married. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, and, and she, and she got on a plane and went with him. Uh-huh. You know, that was, that was uh-huh. her experience. You know, she didn't have to go through what he went through. So there mm-hmm. it's still, you know, for as, as much as I guess we talk about immigration, legal immigration, illegal immigration, what people this, there's still a lot of strife and people, you know, still look at the United States as not necessarily the place to be, but their opportunity to get away from that parishion and to have that freedom. And I'm sure you ran into quite a few people like that who were just, um, I guess maybe feel like they had a weight off their shoulders now that they were here a little bit and Mm -hmm. looking for, uh, their opportunities. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, I mean, even being in Peru, when people find out that I'm from the United States, like, first of all, I don't know how many marriage proposals I've had since I've been here. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's very flattering. (laughs) And then I remember that it's only because I have a U.S. passport. (laughs) But, um, but no, I mean, especially, I mean, this experience that I'm living in now, like just seeing like the, the, I don't know. I mean, there's just, there's not opportunities for young people in the place that I live. Um, there's, there's really there a lot of, if there is young people like my age, like in their like early to mid twenties, um, they're married and have children or, um, you know, that's basically it. Like, I don't think that there, there aren't many like young people who, like don't have families, I suppose in, in my town. Um, and that's really because there's no, there's not opportunities here, um, to move forward, like to do something like more than your parents did, you know? Um, and so you realize like how there just, I mean, there is more opportunity in the United States and like for maybe more difficult for other, like some people to access, but it's, there's definitely more opportunity in the United States just than there is in the rural 
you know, Peru or rural, wherever you are really other other than, you know, the United States or Europe. Um, so it's, it's very interesting, but, um, yeah, I mean, working with refugees, like you just hear so many stories and it's so eye opening and you really, it's very humbling. (laughs) Like it's incredible, especially seeing families coming from completely different countries and then having to rebuild their entire life in the United States coming with nothing, you know, mm-hmm. and it's, it's very, um, sometimes like difficult to see and other times it's really inspiring. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think the U S is, uh, a very unique place, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to other, other countries. So, so I think um, we definitely have a lot of opportunities to help. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, um, so you were in Baltimore for almost a full, for almost a year, right? A little bit over the year. Mm-hmm. A little yeah. bit more than a year. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And the the next kind of jump for you was, I mean, uh, well, first of all, working for AmeriCorps, was that kind of like a, was that a contracted job or, I mean, you signed up for a set period of time or? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of like um, AmeriCorps is a one-year program. So you do one year with the agency that you you apply like directly to the job basically, but it's okay. kind of like subsidized by AmeriCorps because the agency I was working for paid part of like my, I, I like they, it's like a living allowance. They paid part of it and then AmeriCorps paid the other part. So it's kind of like a subsidized program, I guess, for um, like nonprofits in the United States. Um, so I applied directly to that job because I wanted to work with refugees and um, I guess use my degree in like a unique kind of way. Like I was still working with like economics, I guess it could be fall under that, um, that category, but um, in a, in a, I guess a way of still helping people and and learning about different cultures and things like that. Um, And so I applied directly to that position and then, yeah, so it was AmeriCorps, um, and then I stayed on with them with peace or sorry, with, um, the IRC is the agency I was working for, um, the international rescue committee. And I stayed on for a few months after just volunteering pretty regularly with those classes until they had someone full time to, um, take over that. So okay. I was doing that. So and then I, yeah. So, so you were, were you were, you were actually teaching the classes or you t- just helped develop the mm-hmm. curriculum? So I developed the curriculum and I was teaching, I mean, it was kind of because I was supposed to be doing more of like capacity building. I wasn't supposed to be teaching so much, but I loved it. And, um, also it was really useful to figure out like what worked and what wouldn't work and, you know, what kind of things we should be teaching in general, um, what kind of questions people had, stuff like that. So I did get to do a fair amount of teaching, um, which I really enjoyed. Um, but it's kind of funny because the way that we did the classes that we did separated men and women. Um, and so sometimes I'd be in a classroom full of like 25 men from Iraq and Syria and they are asking me like questions like I'm an authority on something, you know, wow. like I was 23 and like, I didn't even know how to manage my own money, but you're, you're like, teaching them how to do it. Right. Exactly. Um, but you know, when you're new to a country, like, somebody giving you information and answering your question is like in, in their language, we used interpret like translators, interpreters, okay. um, is really helpful. So, sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I, I, my minor experience with that is, you know, back in back in my other life when I was working in the automotive industry, um, uh-huh. I was, you know, working down in Racine, and I had a coworker from a different location come and work for me for a short period of time, and Henry was Puerto Rican and spoke Spanish, mm-hmm. and it was amazing. <clears throat> Excuse me, it was amazing. We had two Spanish-speaking insurance agencies in town. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing to see how, <coughs> excuse me, mm, how thrilled people were to come in. Mm-hmm. And because usually it would be the parents and then a 12 year old that would do the interpretation, mm-hmm. you know, the, yeah. the interpreting for yep. us. Yeah. <laughs> and then to have somebody Spanish speaking in the office, it was, they were, they felt, I don't know. It put them at ease a little bit, but it also, um, (coughs) it also, uh, well, it was good for business too, but it was, it was, it was easy to, it was very easy for them to do business. So they were much more relaxed and kind of felt like people understood them better. And, and yeah, it's, it's a big, big difference. Just, you you would think, yeah, the language barrier can be tough to overcome and that even Mm -hmm. though you have somebody speaking their language to them, through an, or speaking to, through them as an interpreter, mm-hmm. just to have somebody speak direct and not right. have that go between was, was a godsend. They were just, they were thrilled. Right. You, you could tell the yeah. look on their face and, and I'll tell you the, the amount of business it brought in because we had that little, just that one little mm-hmm. thing was, was pretty good. So, but I, no, absolutely. I, I, re- I regress. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> no, it's definitely a, a very like common experience for immigrants in the U S and now like living in Peru as a foreign person, like you kind of understand that so much more because like if I'm in my town for a long time without leaving, I don't speak English for weeks or months, you know, and that's really like, you don't realize how exhausting it is until you like talk to someone who speaks English and you're like, Oh my God, it's so much easier to communicate, (laughs) you know, (laughs) especially in the first few months that I was here. But yeah. So after, um, after Baltimore and AmeriCorps, what, uh, I guess the decision, the decision to go into the Peace Corps is not a small one. Mm-hmm. So how yeah. did, how did that come about? I mean, was that something you had thought about while in AmeriCorps? What am I going to do after? And here's possibly something mm-hmm. I could do, or was this, all right, I'm done with AmeriCorps. Now what? I mean, how did that decision process go? Yeah. So applying for Peace Corps is actually a pretty long process. Um, So I started that while I was still in AmeriCorps um, because I knew that my time there would be ending. So I was looking at other options. Um, And so I knew that I was joining the Peace Corps before I finished my year with AmeriCorps um, because I believe that I applied in July or June. And I don't think, yeah. So I had finished the whole application process, the interview process by June. And then I knew that I was coming to Peru, but I didn't leave until March of the following year. So it's a long time (laughs) um, that I had to think ahead for joining Peace Corps. Um, So I definitely knew that it was something that I wanted to do. Um, I'd always been interested in living in, you know, um, 
I was definitely interested in like cultural immersion um, and like just really like living and experiencing like a new culture, like firsthand um, and like integrating, having to like figure out how to do everything, but like in a different language in a different country. Like I just was really inter- interested in that idea. Um, I think because in, in college I studied abroad for a semester in, in Turkey um, and I loved that experience. Um, that was a little bit less of a planned out thing. <laughs> um, well, and we forgot about mentioning me, that. Like, yeah, I'm, I forgot. We just kind of glossed um, over that. I spent six months in, it, <laughs> in an Islamic in country. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, but like, I think that that experience, like, I don't know, I, I did that my senior year of college, which is pretty uncommon to study abroad like that late. But I just got to this point where I was like, I'm just going to do this. And I didn't really think about it. And I just went, um, like I didn't even have like a place to live when I got there, <laughs> which like not a lot of people know because I didn't want to scare my parents. So sorry. <laughs> now they know. Now they'll know. <laughs> everything was fine. Don't worry. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I kind of just showed up at the university and I was like, Hey, um, <laughs> where, what's up? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, that was, it was, it's funny, but I really enjoyed that experience. And I wanted, I knew I wanted to like live in another country again. Um, and Peace Corps is all over the world. Um, but I definitely was really interested in going to a Spanish speaking country just to like, um, cause I had studied Spanish since high school, but never to a point where I could like speak Spanish. Um, a lot more like, like gra- grammar, like that. I don't know. Sure. It, it's definitely hard to learn if you're not if you're not speaking Spanish, um, which I wasn't doing. So, um, I definitely wanted to like have that skill coming out of Peace Corps. Um, so I was really interested in, um, Central and South America in Latin American countries. Um, so I started looking at programs and I found the community economic development program in Peru, um, which also really interested me because it has to do with what I studied in college. Um, and so, yeah, I just decided to apply um, and then went through that whole process. So I knew that I was leaving, I guess it would be June of 2017 is when I found out that I was coming to Peru. Um, and that was around the time I was finishing with AmeriCorps. So I stayed in Baltimore through the summer and then I took a train to California and like just bummed around for a while. <laughs> and then I went to Peru in June, no, sorry, in March of 2018 is when I left. Okay. So and I've been here just over a year. Just over a year now. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so that whole process with applying and I mean, was, was the time between applying and leaving was that what, what, what kind of things went on there? I mean, were they doing background checks? Were they, yeah. I mean, what, mm-hmm. what, what, so why, um, why does that process take so long? It seems like they would, yeah. you want to volunteer, you're on the next plane is what I would right, imagine. Let's go. Right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I imagine that it used to be like that, but now it's all, it's a little bit more formal. Um, because so t- Peace Corps is a two year commitment. Um, it's 27 months, there's three months of training and then 24 months of, um, service in your site. So for example, in Peru, we had training in Lima, which is the capital. 
Um, and then we, we have three months of training and then we live in our communities, which are smaller, more rural places, um, for 24 months. Um, so a lot of the application process is making sure that you're a person who is committed to that whole time because people leaving early is quite common. Um, and they don't want it to happen. Obviously that's not the aim of the program. Um, so a lot of it is making sure that, you know, if you have like a significant other or family or, um, they also do a very thorough, like medical checks, um, because there's like certain conditions that can't be supported in certain countries. Um, and they have to make sure that you're in like a state of health that they can at least support in the country that you're going to be in. Um, so they want to make sure to like eliminate the reasons why you wouldn't be able to successfully complete 27 months of Peace Corps service. Um, or not necessarily like eliminate, like obviously if you're like married, like they don't want you to like leave your family, like you know what I mean? But um, prepare you for that. So there's, yeah, so it's a long medical process. Um, That's probably the most exhaustive thing um, because you have to do a very thorough um, like physical. And then if there's anything that comes up from that, we have, everything has to be like super clear um, as far as the care that you'll need while you're in the country. Um, and then there's also a legal clearance process. So they check all of your legal background. Um, and that takes a while. So that's why there's such a delay between like the application and when you actually leave. So when when you say physical process, basically, uh, uh, examinations, you don't have to run an obstacle course in under five no, no, minutes no. Yeah. or anything right. <laughs> like that. It's not like, right. okay, how, just... how fast can you run away from a dog? Exactly. Or, you know, or... <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> we didn't have to do anything like that. Just, um, like they want to make sure that they're able to support your health in country. So if you have a condition or. So if you were a diabetic, you, know, you want to make, they want to make sure you can get your insulin, that there's places to exactly. store your insulin that it won't exactly. take you months on end to get your supply and then have exactly exaggerated health issues that they'll have to airlift you out of the country. So exactly. Okay. Right. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. I mean, I have like severe anemia and that was going to be a problem. It turned out to be fine, but, um, they were kind of worried about it and then it ended up being okay that they let me go. So like things like that, they were like, maybe she can't live at high altitude because you know whatever for whatever reasons but i actually live in one of the highest sites in all of the country so and it turned out it's fine <laughs> what what, what, um, what elevation are you at by the way um in meters i'm 300 i'm sorry 3300 meters which is about it's like just under 11000 feet and that's where i live so um yeah, you live in the clouds I do. <laughs> in the morning, I am literally in a cloud in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like the one that I'm in in the morning, which is just <laughs> my personal. I'm not a morning person, right? So. Well, I'm not either. So okay. mentally and physically. Oh, yeah. I'm just, I'm just mentally in the clouds in the morning. So. <laughs> but, uh, so, <clears throat> so you're in, so now you're in Peru and you're working again uh-huh. on economic development or e- right uh, okay and economic. <clears throat> one, i guess one thing we you had kind of mentioned you are in a rural area yeah that's that's correct so 
is, is agriculture the main thing? Is, is it, I mean, is it farming? Is it herding? Is it, what, what is the, yeah. what's the basis of the economy? Um, and, you know, like I said, we, and again, when we say rural area here in the United States, it, it's, you know, it's, well, if we're in Wisconsin, let's face it, you, right. you think rural area, boom, dairy farm, you know? <laughs> uh-huh. No, and that's very true here too. Okay. Um, there is, so a lot of my town lives on um, like animal agriculture and like regular agriculture. So it's a very agricultural place. Um, Everyone has, chakra is the word for farm in Quechua and that's what they call it. So um, everybody has their chakra and they go to the chakra. Even if they have another job, they usually have a chakra on the side. (laughs) So um, that is the main um, economic activity. And then in my site, we also have um, a lot of artisans. So um, they work with wood and they make furniture and like religious statues. Um, So those are the two biggest economic activities in my site, agriculture and artisan. So as part of what your function is to take, I mean, is it to teach the artisans how to take their product to market or to make a marketable product or are you doing that kind of thing as well or? Yes, absolutely. Um, so our program in Peru has three main goals. Um, well I'll say first the goals of the Peace Corps in general. Um, yeah, you better give them a plug just to be safe. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so the Peace Corps was founded by John F. Kennedy in 1961, I believe. And I might, I think I have that day, right. That, that, um, you're right, but I might be wrong. I, 1961 sounds right, right? Yeah, as far <laughs> as far sorry. well, it's funny because he, it, it's gone through a lot of incarnations since then. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I right. think it officially right. passed Congress in 1961. It became okay, a, be, yeah, and it was a uh, part of. Uh, <clears throat> it was part. It wasn't its own agency like it is now. It was right. actually part of. It got passed around quite a bit. So, uh, right. but it was always part of a different agency till it became its own, mm-hmm. uh, Jimmy Carter own. in like 78, right. 79, Jimmy Carter signed that okay. into its own agency. Yeah. So, right. Um, so the first, like the three goals of Peace Corps have been the same since it was, um, like inaugurated, which are the first one is to, um, provide like technical support and train people in country. Um, and then the second goal is to share American culture with, um, people in your host country. And then the third goal is to share the culture of your host country with American people. Um, so the third goal has changed a lot, obviously, since the Peace Corps started, because now we have Facebook and Instagram and like all that kind of stuff. So it's constantly like, we're constantly communicating with people back home and showing them what we're up to and like how we live. Mm -hmm. But, um, I imagine like when Peace Corps started, it was like kind of after you finish your two years and you go back and then you tell everybody what, what happened, you know, <laughs> talk to so, grade school classes and show picture, uh-huh. do a slide presentation, right. literally a slide picture, slide presentation. Uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. So, um, it's kind of cool to see how Peace Corps has evolved and like, given that we have that opportunity to speak to people who are at home all the time, basically. I mean, depending on where you are, I don't always have service, but um, 
you but, know, but this being that kind of thing right now. So, right. I, <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. I can't imagine right. this happening in 1961. So uh. absolutely not. Right. So, um, so those are the three main goals of Peace Corps in general. Um, and then within our programs, we have other goals, um, which are actually more focused on the first goal of Peace Corps, which is training um, and offering technical support to community members. Um, and so in our program, the first one is um, business Shoot, I can't translate this in my head. <laughs> I only know it in Spanish. <laughs> um, business, like advising. There you go. Um, <laughs> Um, business advising. Um, so small businesses in my community, helping them with, um, you know, like how to manage inventory, like small accounting things, um, marketing, like, you know, my town is just learning how to use the internet. And so that's been a big part of my first goal work is like helping people make Facebook pages or, um, you know, how to do marketing using the internet. So the hotels like using like Airbnb or booking.com, like things like that. Um, so that's the first goal. The second goal is entrepreneurship, um, with youth and women. So helping young people and women start businesses. Um, and in that goal, I work a lot with women because in my community, um, a lot of them are just like, they live at home. Um, and I mean, obviously, well, they work at home is what I meant to say. Um, they are like housewives. Um, but they all know how to like knit and they knit like crazy and they make delicious food and they know, like, they just have so much knowledge, you know, Mm -hmm. and they don't necessarily like value that always as like something that they could make money off of or like, they don't feel it's a marketable skill. Exactly. So for example, um, we have just like herbs that grow in the wild, like all over here. And if you walk around with one of the senoras in my community, like they'll be like, Oh, that's good for like diarrhea or like, that's good for if you have a cold or like you have to drink that like tea, if you are constipated, like things like that. (laughs) So, um, it's pretty amazing. And so what we did is, um, we dried out a bunch of them and I worked with a group of like 10 women and they, dried out a bunch of herbs and then they just like put them in bags and wrote the name of it and what was used for, um, and like how to prepare it. And, um, they sold that during, um, Semana Santa, which is the week before, um, Easter. And we had like a little bit of tourism coming through here. Um, and they sold about 30 soles worth of things, which is pretty impressive. Um, because I think each one was 50 cents. So they sold like 60, herbs um so just like things like that and they just never thought that it was like uh something that other people would want to like buy or know about even um but you know all these people come from the capital and they're like amazed that there's still people in their country that have like these knowledges and um they're like wow and so they buy this stuff and it's you know, it feels like something like folkloric, but it's sure. like the real everyday life of people that live here. So it's quite interesting. Um, it's really interesting to be in Peru because it is a country that's changing so much and it's like developing super quickly in the city mm-hmm. in, in Lima. I believe half the population lives in Lima. Um, and then, you know, out in, in like the more rural parts, it's just a completely different reality. So it's, 
like there's just it's so extreme like so it's living almost, is in it almost like traveling back in time kind of or, or yeah i mean you could say that but at the same time like they still have internet here and like a lot of people have smartphones so it's just it's very interesting um but i would say that then there's people in the city who like their families don't they don't have families still that live in rural areas and they've just completely forgotten like all of this agricultural knowledge and you know like what you what you learn just like by virtue of living in a rural place you know sure. or what you know um so that's it's so fascinating um and so that's um the second goal of my program that we've been working um a lot on so right now i'm in the middle of doing um like a big workshop with a bunch of women in my community um helping them start small businesses or like generate business ideas um and we're having a big like fair during the town fiesta the party um which is in august and a lot of people come from lima for that so they'll be selling all of their little things which will be fun um, so you're then, kind of developing a little bit of like a farmer's, uh, what we would call a farmer's market or flea market. Yeah. Kind of met- yeah. It's something like an artisanal market, basically, artisanal. um, where people are making, um, they're selling like, like knitting, like knit goods that they make, um, like foods, typical foods, like things like that. So I'm just kind of encouraging the women. It's interesting because, you know, if you think of, like, okay, my job is to like teach people how to start a business. Um, but then you get here and you realize that a lot of these women aren't necessarily ready to do that because they don't, a lot of them have low self-esteem. They've never like been empowered to like do something like this before. So they're just, a lot of them are frankly just too scared to like sell things, you know? Um, well, is and- that, is that a matter of, it has a lot to do with the culture because okay. I mean, culturally, like the women here stay in the house. Um, they like prepare breakfast, lunch, and dinner. They take care of the children. They, you know, and the men are the ones who are going out to the farm or um, going to work or traveling. Um, so when you, when you say fear, I guess it's, it's more of a timidness of them being out yeah. in public and dealing with the public. It's not so right. much if the husband catches him at the farmer's market that he's going to, she's going to, he's going to beat her. Not right. That well, I think it or, definitely depends on the family. Like okay. that's still definitely, <laughs> that's definitely a concern for some people, you okay. know? Um, but I would say most, mostly it's um, just, it's just something so different and something that hasn't, they, they haven't seen their mothers or their aunts or their sisters doing things like that. So they don't necessarily feel like they're ready or they're able or capable of doing it. Um, so what, like what I was saying is that, um, my job is to teach entrepreneurship, but what these workshops have turned into is a lot of like self-esteem and like reflection and like reevaluate, reevaluate, revaluing, revaluing, reevaluating, <laughs> not reevaluating, okay. reevaluating <laughs> um, themselves. Re- okay. Yeah. Revaluing like themselves and their culture. Um, and so it's, it's quite interesting because I'm not necessarily talking all the time about, um, you know, marketing or like finance. It's a lot, it's a lot about like, you know, like this is important for you and your family and why, and, um, what are this, like, 
like what are the things that are holding you back and like how can we address them mm-hmm. um so it's definitely not what you think it will be when you when you come into it um we do i um like i like to show little videos of like women from the mountain region the sierra who have been really successful in business or in politics or things like that. Um, so we usually do like half of the, what lesson will be about like how this woman like was able to overcome, you know, the problems that she was having in her house or, you know, the expectations that her family or her community had of her and how she arrived to wherever she is now, you know? Mm -hmm. So we do a lot of that kind of stuff, um, which is interesting. And then, yeah. So I really enjoy that work. Um, it's definitely not so, not like super businessy all the time. Um, but that's what you have to kind of like feel out where your community is at and meet them where they are and then help them get to a place that's maybe a little bit more, like a little bit farther, closer to the goal, you know? Um, so I don't know. I think a lot of volunteers, think of Peace Corps and they're like, wow, I'm going to do so much. Like I'm going to change the whole world and like change this, not necessarily the whole world, but like maybe their community, like everything's going to be different, you know, Mm -hmm. but you really like, it's a lot slower. The work is so much slower and you really realize like how much you don't know (laughs) and how important it is to listen and like learn about the community first before you just jump in there and start teaching people about, you know, how to like make a ledger or something like that. So, well, so are you building upon somebody else's work that was there before you or, and, and who will carry on? And conversely, then is there a, something in place so that when your time is up, somebody continues your, or are, are you it? This community okay, gets so, you for two years and sink or swim. You're going to teach them everything you can. And then leave them to their own. I mean, what, what happens? How does that work? So, right. So the whole question of sustainability is something that was really important to me, like before joining Peace Corps, because that is something that you see just like, like historically in development work is like, you know, people come and like invest a bunch of money in the community and like build like, I don't know, like a, like a school or something. And then they leave and you realize like there's all these problems and the community doesn't have the money to like invest in like update the school or like whatever it might be. Like that's just an example. Sure. Uh, like a traditional, I guess, problem. And I didn't, it was definitely something that I was worried about in Peace Corps. Like I didn't want to just like go live somewhere for two years and like have all my stuff like go down the drain after that, you know? Um, or like, it's just, I mean, it's not efficient and it's a waste of, you know, frankly, like taxpayer money (laughs) because it's scores of a government program. Um, and it's also just, I don't know, but anyway, so Peace Corps, the whole approach to sustainability is that all of our work is done with, um, like a counterpart in the community. So, um, when I'm teaching this, this, these workshops, there are people in the community that are there with me who are learning as well, how to teach it, how to facilitate it. Um, and so the idea is that they'll be able to continue that work when I'm not here anymore. Um, so there's a big focus on empowering and working 
really closely with community members who are invested in the community, who are going to stay in the community um, for a longer term. Um, So that is kind of the, the, I guess, pillar of our work. A, A pillar of our work is always working with a counterpart um from the community which is also really helpful in my community because there's a lot of people that speak quechua um specifically women or older women that speak only quechua and they do not speak spanish um quechua is the traditional language of um the region that i live in of the sierra in peru um and also in like all of the andes mountains um you can find different variations of quechua um so there's a few people in my community that don't speak Spanish. They only speak Quechua and everyone understands Quechua here. Um, so when I work with people from the community, they're able to translate what I'm saying in Spanish to Quechua. And so that also resonates a little bit more with people. Um, sure. So it makes it feel more legitimate than just, um, are they able to understand it more, I suppose. Um, and then as far as like how it works with the volunteers, um, in Peru, we work on like a six-year program or six-year development plan, I guess, for each community. Um, so the idea is that there are three volunteers who each stay for two years in the community um, doing this kind of work, but always working with um, a community counterpart. So I'm the second volunteer. There was a volunteer here before me for two years, um, and then I'm here for two years, and um the idea is that a volunteer will come after me, but that all depends on like community support and community like buy-in. Like for example, if it's very difficult for someone to find counterparts in their community who are really interested in the work, um, Peace Corps probably won't provide a volunteer for that community because um, the work wouldn't be sustainable. So that is the whole idea um, is that, yes, we are facilitating, um, and teaching like workshops and working directly like with, with individual people. Um, But the idea is that we're always with somebody who will be able to continue that work once we're not here. So it's kind of developing the capacities of the town of like all the business owners or all the women or whatever in the town, but also really developing the abilities of like a community member who's really interested and developing that person's abilities to continue that work um, once there's no volunteers. So, so, so yeah. your community, I'll call them your community liaison or your community counterpart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do you have a good one? Are you going to, are they going to run you out of town on a rail for being a rabble? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I mean, depending on the kind of, so like I have a different community counterpart for like, business development and entrepreneurship with kids and then entrepreneurship with women. Um, what I found for the workshops that I'm doing now with women is that it was very difficult to find somebody who was like interested in that work. Um, generally Peace Corps wants you to work with like somebody who is in the municipality or, um, some kind of authority, Mm -hmm. but it was difficult for me to find someone who wanted to work on it with me. And I don't know, I think it might be because of the way that I like worded the whole proposal of the project. Um, because like I w- use the word em- empoderamiento, which means like empowerment. Mm-hmm. And I think here it's like a very strong word. It's kind of like, Oh my God, you crazy feminist. Sort of thing. <laughs> <laughs> and, like feminist 
is also an interesting word here because like as opposed to in the United States, like we, ha- we don't have ma- So here there's like machista culture, which mm-hmm. is like, um, I mean, essentially like a patriarchal culture. Sure. Um, but feminista is like the exact opposite of that word. It's not, it seems like, so people think that feminista is like someone who wants women to like rule everything. And like, you know, all men can just like okay. yeah, so. beat it. Kind of thing. So they think because that's how machista culture is, that feminista culture is just the opposite of machista. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of like, even people who are quite feminist in my like the definition of the word, like don't say that word or don't use those words because they have a different association here um, okay. because of the language. So anyway, I think that I used some very feminist words in my proposal <laughs> and it kind of freaks people out. Oh, it didn't translate um, well. So, <laughs> Right. It didn't translate well. Um, so what I've found though, is that the women themselves are so like, there's a few women like in these workshops with me who are like really into the work and really invested in, um, like, you know, developing a business and helping their friends do it. Um, and so what I've done is kind of focused on those women who are the ones who are a little bit more invested. Um, and I'm going to do a training with them at the end to help to show them all the materials and how they can facilitate it again um or how they can help people who have questions so definitely that is the focus the sustainability part of it for this these this work that i'm doing now um is kind of it's not necessarily someone that they're not people that are leaders per se like mm-hmm. they don't have a title in the community but they're people that are really dedicated and really interested in the work, okay. um, which I find op- oftentimes is like more valuable than somebody who just like works in the municipality because that's their job, you know? Right. Right. Um, so these are women who are dedicating their free time to this kind of stuff. Um, and so I find that they're definitely better, better counterparts, I think, than, you know, the mayor or the manager of the municipality or like things like that. Sure. So, sure. Yeah. Well, it sounds like incredible work and a great app. I mean, it's, it's gotta be exciting, but you're living in a foreign country. Uh huh. And like you said, just some of the cultural differences, the, the way that you have to phrase something, the way you have to present something, um, how it's perceived in one culture compared to another one. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what are the, what are the big culture shocks for you? What was... Oh my, what was the, oh my God, what have I done moment when you, <laughs> yeah. so to speak, yeah. I guess. What was... Um, wow. Sometimes I feel like every day I have one of those moments, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, uh, I don't know. Sometimes it's like, sometimes it's a food, honestly, like some, like where I live, there's not access to like many foods that are recognizable sometimes. (laughs) Um, um, So that's interesting. Um, I think that really gets to you. Sometimes it's like, great, I'm going to eat this like chicken liver stew and it's fine. And then other days you're just like, I just want a peanut butter and jelly sandwich (laughs) on white bread. And I don't want anyone to like say anything to me about it. Um, But I think... I would say my biggest like 
the biggest like cultural just how being in a small town really is that everybody knows everything about you or even if they don't they pretend they do and they make stuff up or (laughs) they they want to know everything about you all the time like when I come back to my house from there's a woman who lives on my street who just sits outside of her house all day um and she just wants to know like what's in your grocery bag like where are you coming from where are you going like where like where (laughs) just she just needs to know everything everything about my my um entire day all the details (laughs) well how many how many people how many people are in the community that you're living in um i live in a community about two thousand two thousand people so it's really not that small compared to other like Peace Corps sites. Um, It's definitely on the smaller end, but um, some people live in communities of like 200 people. So (laughs) that's, it's, it's definitely bigger. Um, I would say I'm like, I don't know. It really depends. I I think I have one of the smaller sites, but not like on the extreme end. Like, okay. (laughs) I don't know. Like I have a friend who lives, I have a friend who lives in a site of like 20,000 people. So, Oh wow. Okay. And that's so 10 yeah. times. So that's, so. it's definitely right. Exactly. Um, and then I have a friend who lives in a town of 200 people so that I'm like, my, t- my size is 10 times bigger than hers. So it really depends. Right. Um, but, um, yeah, so my site is pretty, I mean, 2000 people, I don't know. It might seem like a lot, but it's not. <laughs> no, not um, even. And I would say maybe like, I like 40% are children. Um, okay. More, I don't know. Um, so, but so do you, I mean, yeah, I guess it it's, you know, people talk about the coziness of a small town and, uh-huh. um, that's gotta be nice and somewhat of a comfort cause you, you do see a lot of the same faces and recognize a lot of the same people. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but in that same aspect, you miss a little bit of the anonymity that you have in a big city? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's not like, um, I don't know. And even just, for example, if I go to the regional capital, which is a town, a city of about, I don't, maybe 70,000 people. Like I still see people from my community there. So (laughs) it's like, I don't know. I just (laughs) like, wow sometimes I'm just I just am really overwhelmed by that but I don't know like a big thing in my site like I have curly hair and nobody here has curly hair so um people just like freak out about my hair like they're like (laughs) they say I'm (laughs) like I just have to wear it up every day otherwise I'm just like constantly like they tell me that I don't brush my hair and then I like look crazy um and I'm like I'm having a good hair day people (laughs) like just (laughs) (laughs) so um (laughs) there's just like things like that where it's like i just want to like let my hair like just be a giant ball of curls you know like i don't want to have to like brush it out and like put it back like slick it down to my head like (laughs) like sometimes i feel like i have to do um or i don't know like if i wear earrings one day everyone's like, Ooh, like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, where are you going? Oh. Um, which is like funny, but then at the same time, it's like, can I just live my life? <laughs> yeah. Can I just be me? Um, right. Right. So, um, 
I don't know. It's just people are always watching, especially because, you know, I'm not from here and I look different than everybody. So they're curious about what, what I do and like, like how, what I eat and how I spend my time. And, um, yeah, so it's definitely like you always, you want, because that is a goal of Peace Corps, you know, to like explain and like share American culture. Sure. Share those differences. Um, Yeah. Right. So that's, it's definitely a big part of like the reason why I'm here, but it's definitely something that wears on you after a while to just be constantly like, Hey, what did you just buy at the grocery store? And I'm like, Oh my God, I just want to eat frosted flakes. (laughs) I don't want anyone to know. know? (laughs) Can you you get frosted flakes where you are? uh, They're not real frosted flakes. They're just, they're like, uh, you know, cereal with corn cereal with sugar. <laughs> so there's one store that has them. Um, <laughs> so you got one option. Uh, okay. Right. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I don't know. And like, because I don't know, I like to cook and I like to kind of, you know, share like foods and things like that. So mm-hmm. um, that's a really good way to like integrate, I guess, is mm-hmm. kind of, like, hey, I'll come over and like let's cook something, even though they get freaked out by <laughs> American food often. But um yeah, I don't know. Um I think there's just a lot of um sort of I don't know, it's give and take, I suppose. Sure. Sure. There's some days where it's like, yeah, like I'm gonna go out there and do it and then other days where it's just like I just feel it just is really it just feels like a lot of work. <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah, that's that doesn't matter where you are, trust me. Uh, right. <laughs> I think that's just part of having a job. So Yeah, uh, that's true. Of course I don't uh mm-hmm. I don't get well, I guess I do get a lot of crap for what I eat at work. But anyway, <laughs> that's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother story. So um right. Well, sometimes they like here, they'll give you like the head of the guinea pig because, um, it's funny <laughs> to watch you try to eat it. <laughs> they try to mess with you like that. <laughs> oh, okay. Do they, do they eat the head of the guinea pig? Yeah, but there's like not that much meat on it. So it's kind of like, oh, it's, it's like, really tough. Oh, it's like chewing on a bad chicken wing. <laughs> right. Exactly. Okay. And then the teeth are still in it and everything. So that's a little fun. <laughs> Okay. So, so that's not exactly a thing of honor, is it? I, if you get the head of the guinea pig, is that kind of like, so it's a joke kind of thing or. Yeah. I mean, usually they give it to the dog. Oh. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh-huh. um, no, like sometimes they'll just do it as a joke, but it's not to be mean. It's just funny. Okay. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of like a white elephant, but it's a guinea pig. Here. Right. Okay. Exactly. Uh, and then right. usually they'll give you like the leg later and then you're like, thanks. <laughs> Excellent. So. Well, um, this has been a treat, a truly a treat yeah. for us, for me, uh, actually get to talk to you first of all, and have that <laughs> opportunity, uh, as, as an uncle to his niece, it was very, it's, it's, gl- I'm glad to hear you're, you're doing well. That's, that's number Thank one. You. Um, yeah. Is it an experience you would recommend? Obviously, you got to be the right person to do that. But if somebody comes to you and says, I'm thinking of going in the Peace Corps, it's definitely something you would recommend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I definitely think, you know, it's not something like it's definitely not a decision to like just 
take lightly, I suppose, (laughs) but, um, like make sure that like two years is a long time to leave your life, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. but it's great for me because I didn't have a life. So (laughs) (laughs) if you had one, but no. Right. If you had one, (laughs) if you didn't, then definitely do it. (laughs) Um, but I, I couldn't like, it's just, it's an experience that like you learn so much that you're not necessarily expecting to learn. Like, um, I don't know. I feel a lot more like I have a lot more confidence just like in myself, like having to explain who I am and what I'm doing here and like that every day and like always be, you know, in the public eye, whatever I do, you know? And I think that has really, it's really interesting. Like you have so much time to sit around and think and like, what do you want to get out of this experience is definitely, um, it definitely changes all the time. So um, I think, you know, Peace Corps is, it's a very unique experience and every volunteer also has a unique experience because you're, you're placed in community by yourself um, most of the time. And you're just kind of like, you just have to figure it out, you know? So, um, you know, I think it's definitely a very unique experience and I would definitely recommend it to anybody who's thinking about it. Um, yeah, I don't think there's nothing else like it, I suppose. (laughs) Sure. 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 If, um, for some reason somebody would have a question for you, uh, mm-hmm. about the Peace Corps or what you're doing in Peru or just general questions. How how would somebody get a hold of you? Um obviously yeah. we're is do you do you, you obviously have internet access. So you have uh-huh. do you have an email that's you use while you're there or yeah. um I have my Gmail, which I can tell you now. It's Aaron Thomas, E R I N T H O M A S. 0993 at gmail.com. Um, so feel free to reach out with any questions. Um, that's probably the, we can start from there and then, you know, we can do WhatsApp or phone calls like that. Um, After Skype. The fact. Okay. So, but yeah. that would be so, the best way to get most reliable, I would imagine. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, so yeah, I mean, anybody who has questions, um, I'm happy to answer them. Um, yeah, I'm happy to talk about my experience or anything that I mentioned, any of the experiences. (laughs) (laughs) Anything, anything in general, just send me a question, please. Uh, Sometimes I'm so lonely. (laughs) (laughs) Well, great, great. And, um, well, I want to thank you for taking the time out to talk to us today. Absolutely. And again, it's been a great pleasure and I'm, I'm glad to hear you're doing well and that, uh, you're, you're succeeding where you are. So, um, I said about another, well, about another 11 months. I mean, you don't want to start marking days in the calendar yet, but, uh, um, I I guess I know the, the one thing, uh, I, I, we talked about it before we started, but I wanted to bring it up and I never brought it up. Um, we call you a Peace Corps volunteer, but you are compensated, correct? Right. Yeah. So, um, we are given like a, like a living allowance that's, um, like it's calculated based on like living standards in the place that you are. Um, so we are paid for like enough to buy food and to rent an apartment and to live, um, 
you know, and to do like basic travel to the capital every now and then. Um, so it's not, I'm not like, I'm not saving money at all, but I'm not um, like using my own money either. So okay. <laughs> my money that I had saved. So yeah, so it's um, technically like volunteer status, but we are reimbursed for like living allowances or living, living, um, living, um, <laughs> for living. For living, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, for, for basic necessities and like I said, food, shelter, exactly. clothing. Right. You're not, you're right. not, you're exactly. not digging rags out of the trash to make an outfit. No. So. Okay. Right. Absolutely. Excellent. Yeah, but, Excellent. But the idea is that, you know, we live at the level of our community. So, um, that, yeah. So, so you have the same the economic means as, so you're not that highfalutin American who lives high on the hill looking down on us. You're part of that community exactly. and, and living right. at the same standard you said. So that's, that's good. Right. That's the idea. Okay. All right. Well, again, well, I, I, we'll wrap this up because I know it's it's getting late and you probably have a long day. So I want to thank you again for taking the time. Yeah, thank and, you. Um, again, and, and that email address one more time just to be safe. Yeah. Aaron Thomas 0993 at gmail.com. That's all right. It. Excellent. Aaron, E-R-I-N. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So if somebody does have some questions, they can read out, reach out to you or if they just want to. Mm-hmm say thank you for doing what you're doing. They can do that that way. Excellent. So yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, this has been the, the listen up Milwaukee podcast. And again, our guest today was Aaron Thomas all the way from what the city again or the province. Uh, Ankash, Peru. So, uh, uh-huh. yeah, we're making great strides. I had, uh, this is, this is wonderful. So it was my first international podcast. So thanks. You're, you're putting me on the oh. map. I hope. Um, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, Aaron, thanks again for coming and for sharing your time and your experiences. And this has been the listen up Milwaukee podcast. Again, if you need to reach out to us at the podcast, we are listen up M K E at yahoo.com. That's L I S T E N U P M K E. Uh, we are on, uh, hosted by Podbean as our, as our uh, file server or or our host, uh, site. So you can find us there at listenupmke.podbean.com where you can find archive shows and links to past guests. And the last thing I need to mention, because I always forget to do it, is our opening theme music is courtesy of John C. Um, And that came off of his most recent CD called Shine, which you can find on iTunes. So that's John C, C C-E-E, and off the album Shine. Thanks again. Everybody have a good night and uh, thanks for listening. Take care.